Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Chris S. was recorded on October 7th, 2021. Good evening, everybody. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm an ACA. I thank Dottie, and I thank this group uh, for letting me speak uh, in such an impromptu way. Um, as a matter of fact... Um, that's the best way to ask me to speak is an impromptu. Um, I've been in the other fellowship and sober physically since August 21st, 2012. So we celebrated nine years of physical sobriety. But interestingly enough, I count my emotional sobriety as being on February the 14th, 2018. And that's where I entered officially, I feel, into ACA. Um, as an aside, sometimes I get this, I get it at work, I get it at other meetings. Indeed, this is my real voice. I don't put this on. It sounds like a radio voice. It can sound worse if I want it to be or make it amped up. It just came with the body. There's nothing you can do. It just is. I was born this way. So I'm not in radio. As a matter of fact, I'm in the recovery field. Um, I've worked, uh, lifelong as a, uh, social worker. Actually, in the last year, I've worked um, in the recovery field as a recovery specialist, case manager, and counselor. So that is a lifelong dream after working many years in mental health and then working in the um, disabilities jobs field as a job specialist. So I'm able to do a lot of those things. So it's really helpful. So with all that aside, um, I'll start from the beginning. Uh, I, I'm someone that really enjoys speaking. So I guess going back to that true self, which is in this book, by the way, finding our true selves, you know, they couldn't tell me to shut up a lot in school. I was a class clown, which that's kind of covered more or less that comedian, right? That's in the big red book. That's looking, I'm looking right at here. So um, I, I never could find my voice. Well, as it turns out, if I have this kind of speaking voice, radio voice, communication voice, I now can use it in the rooms of recovery, which never figure that out. So I feel that that's a true self and I feel that's something that's very positive for me. So uh, my story, story starts out um, back in 1969 when I was born and I'm gonna go from 1916 to the age 24. Because 24 is when I first started to drink. So I'm gonna go from there to there and then I'm gonna pick up um, somewhere at the age of 43 in my recovery years. So I'll try to be careful here with uh, what I'm doing. I'm not very seasoned with ACA speaking. I've only done, I think one or twice, but I've done in many, many AC, uh, many AA leads. So I'm used to it. So it's um, a little tricky sometimes to get my um, feet with ACA. So um, to start off, um, I'm the last of nine children. I'm from outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My father was uh, a businessman, owned his own business in window sales. My mother, um, was a mom and a good mom. That was her job. Last of nine kids. So that was her gig. Um, in my family, there was no actual um, active alcoholism. Actually, as a matter of fact, it was the direct opposite. 
um, it was forbidden. Uh, my father would tell me, as, and my brothers and sisters, as a very uh, uh, young child, stay away from alcohol. It'll kill you. Um, he spoke to me in such a way that um, he actually sounded less than a father and less than a family member. Almost, I, I found, you know, I replay it a lot in my head as this kind of forewarning. It was, I think it was his real personality coming through, not this father. Um, it was, he didn't sound nearly as confident. And I understand why, because his father, my grandfather, whom I've never met, died in 1944 at the age of 46, more than likely from alcoholism. Um, so that's where that goes. Um, my dad was a non-drinker and hated drinking, despised it. Um, there were many alcoholics on that side of my father's family. Um, very dysfunctional. Um, but my father, unfortunately, make no mistake, unfortunately, he pretty much was an alcoholic and was an ACA. There's no two ways about it. Um, his drug of choice was spending, overeating, and indeed rage. And he used that. He acted like an alcoholic acts. I should know because I am one. So I understand that. Um, my mom, she didn't get away clean either. She's still living at age 90 and I love her very dearly, but she's a neurotic mess um, and has lots of anxiety, a lot of alcoholics, but they seemed a little bit more, somewhat more functional, if that's possible. Take on her side. Um, she's one of 11, so she was destined to have a bunch of kids, I suppose. Um, growing up for me, um, it's pretty much what it looks like, but I have to state it anyways, the last of nine kids, you become the baby and you wear that as a badge. Um, there was the hero, there was the lost child, there's some caretakers. It's, it's typical garden variety kind of stuff. Um, but the interesting part of this all is, is I will tie it in. You know, when I came into the other fellowship, I came in um, because of a broken relationship. Um, not because of my alcoholism, because of a broken relationship. And I really didn't really start to understand my alcoholism until a few years into it. Um, it was a broken relationship, a broken relationship and an unrealistic, unsafe, um, not real relationship. Um, and I came in. Um, I enjoy AA and I'm still involved. By the way, let me back it up a little bit. I do have a home group. That is Spiritual Warriors, Friday nights at 6.30, comes out of North Carolina. Um, I, I've, been, I've joined in six months. There are some positives uh, to COVID because I could not find meetings in ACA. So as I go through my years of AA, something was missing almost immediately. Um, now with nine years in, I, I kind of look at it and see it as one thing and I see it as another, um, but it wasn't meant to be. Unfortunately, what happened to me after one year, half of being an AA, I think it was okay. I'll give myself a C plus. Um, I didn't properly do the steps, so my defenses were down. This time, again, I repeated the same thing. An inappropriate relationship with an unavailable person emotionally and there otherwise. And I became very dependent on this person. And that almost pretty much ruined my four years of these nine. I don't consider them, I didn't pick up, but I was doing nothing but lip service um, to AA. 
And um, that broke me because this time I was physically sober. So I'm kind of flipping, flopping around here. And I'll get to that. So I'm going to read something real quick. It's from an AA reading. And why I read it is because for the specific re reason is it has the next frontier emotional sobriety. Emotional sobriety is constant through the works of ACA. And that's where the light bulb turned on. So I'm going to read something real quick. It said, um, and this is from Bill Wilson, the co-founder of AA. He wrote in 1958 here, it, suddenly I realized what the matter was. My basic flaw had always been dependence, an absolute, an almost absolute dependence on people or circumstances to supply me with prestige, security, and the like. Failing to get these things according to my perfectionist dreams and specifications, I had fought for them. And when defeat came, so did my depression. That, I believe, as do some others, is really, in a, in a very small way, is the start of ACA. That's emotional sobriety. I have physical sobriety, but I did not have emotional sobriety, and I never did my whole life. So when my former sponsor, who became my former sponsor in April, um, slowly directed me to ACA, although he said he wasn't interested in it by any means. Um, he thought of himself more as Al-Anon, but he said, this sounds like you. I started down this rabbit hole, and... Um, couldn't believe it. So I reached as far as I could in AA. I hit this wall. And I said, there has to be something more. AA, a lot of people, we're going to go back and forth. A lot of people in AA, I'm not speaking for them. A lot of people believe that their first year, year zero, started when, they, when the alcoholism took off. No. My opinion, there was many more problems prior. I am the same person I always was. I just so happened to choose to drink. And again, it's in the works of ACA. Um, so picking up, as a child, I was precocious, uh, a natural entertainer, um, but something was always off with me. Very nervous. Um, I'll be whatever you want me to be. I'll to fit in. Um, very sensitive, um, very quick temper, but also I have a big heart and wanted to help people. But, you know, I got into a lot of problems that way. I wasn't a very good student, um, had a hard time paying attention. Now, one thing I've had that I can only go back as far as being 10 was I have, and still have to this day, a health-related anxiety. It may look like what used to be known as hypochondria. Um, they call it health-related anxiety disorder. And they also call it generalized anxiety disorder. Um, it was off the charts as a 10-year-old. There was a lot of turbulence in my family. My dad, again, very loud, could be a gregarious person, but very loud. And everything was this always a crisis. So my brain in its natural status is I'm used to 10 things going off at once by the mere fact that there was 11 people in the house, <laughs> let alone loud people. And my dad was very loud. And, you know, my mom kind of tried to keep me from this. So there's a lot of banging going on. So I can get really, my comfort zone is a lot of noise. I can do that. I can actually go into a place and hear things. Is that attention deficit? I don't think so. I think it's anxiety. I can, um, you know, as they said, there's a guy named Marty S. who's from ACA Arizona. They said, you know, we're, we're very similar to those that are shell-shocked. So I knew then I had some brain damage. And I believe, again, my opinion, that my brain took a hit real heavy right here. That thinking part of that brain, right? That frontal lobe 
took a took a hit and a perfect storm occurred. There are in my family. My mom is one of them. Unfortunately, it came all to light when she was in her late 70s and 80s. It was always there. And I have one other sister um, who had this neuroticism, this anxiety. So it was always there. I was always fearing what was going to happen. Now they call that egocentric. And that's indeed true. So it's like on that. How Chris took care of that is Chris drank. Um, I lived in a shell for a long time. I did not come out. It was hard for me to make friends. Um, I wanted people to come to me. I didn't want to come to them. I was scared of my own shadow. I lived up to the baby role of having no responsibility and being completely irresponsible. So I lived up to that by being a perfect C minus student. There's a couple of others in the family the same way. Um, certainly not achieving by any means my full potential, my true self as it says in ACA work. Um, I feel I have an eating disorder as well. And I feel that I have some obsessive compulsive tendencies as well. But, you know, these last four years of my life have been wonderful, as a matter of fact. The more I cleared the decks, toxic people and people that were getting in my way, I blew away from them, blew them away, flipped them right away. I had to, I had no choice. When still even in early recovery and the other fellowship, I was still seeking them out. There's a lot of crossover phenomena. I'm not here to speak about them. I'm not really here to go on and on about any other fellowship than ACA. But again, my problem started at birth. I believe that I'll do anything you tell me to do. I think everything you think, and I cannot separate. That's that enmeshment, right? I can't separate that because I saw that in my family. One thing affected another, and another affected the And it was this, this chain craziness, the opposite of what's known as emotional sobriety. It's a bunch of dry drunks banging around, and there were some characters there. Um, there were some, you know, there was, you know, out of nine kids, five looked like, you know, maybe four looked like dad, and another five looked like mom. I, I favored my father's side, although I have my mom's neurotic side. So these two very sick individuals um, decided to have a family. Um, I felt many ways that they lived kind of separate lives. Uh, I never saw them kiss. I never saw them hug. Um, we weren't kissers or hugger people. I come into uh, the rooms of recovery and people are hugging me and kissing me and wanting to shake my hand. And I don't want that. And I've only had to learn what that's all about. I'm still unraveling all of that to this day. Um, so as I bounce around, um, everything fell apart for me. You know, at 24, the drinking took off. And that's a whole other life of a marriage, dating, and a burgeoning alcoholism. So we go through that. We're going to leave that there. So we're going to pick up somewhere between the ages of 43 and 48, as I did before. So after four years of being in this terrible relationship where I made this woman, very toxic woman. And by the way, so was I. Didn't seek this person out. Again, I'm that same kid. I always stay in that same status as a little kid. I never grew up. I didn't. I'm growing myself up now. I feel that things just because of the chaos on the trauma that I took, that others did too, that I stopped. It's not an excuse. It's reality. I could not figure it out at all. I couldn't. 
I could not figure it out. And I didn't have too many people guide me through that way. Unfortunately, I don't have a very good relationship with my, with my three brothers. And it seems to be mostly relationships with uh, the, the women, the sisters of the family, some strong personalities. There's some give or take in there in either way. But I've noticed that I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself these days. I'm reparenting myself. I'm, I'm caring for myself. Though I'm a relation, and it may look like I've, as I said before, blew people off away from me. No, I cleared the debt, the wheat from the shaft. They've got to go. If you're toxic and you're in my way, you're just going to continue the same harm you did to me before, as I saw before, and I'm not going to have it. Now, I can't put everybody away, but now I can have a little space, right? It's about the size of a loaf of bread, maybe. And that's my safe space. And that's a boundary. And I have that. You know, the one thing that I looked at as coming in when I got this big red book, you know, I, I'm obsessive type. And I, I scoured through the, 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 the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is blue. And when I got this big red book uh, in 2018, I carried it everywhere I went like a teddy bear. Like, uh, I couldn't believe it. My life, you know, I knew, I knew there was something wrong with me prior to my drinking. Besides anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. There was something wrong. And then the one thing that really changed me, because there's so many things that I feel that one day, maybe 50 to 100 years from now, this book might go past all other forms of 12-step recovery. It might be the only one. Because that's where the original wound is at. That's where the original problem is at. Again, my opinion. Now, this is a 12-step meeting. It's 12-step based. So we have to use those 12 steps. I don't blame my parents anymore. I take responsibility for who I am. One thing, though, as I was somewhat alluding to, the one thing that was a game changer, besides emotional sobriety, which, by the way, was one of the first things that snapped me out of many things in my early days in AA. I heard emotional sobriety. So what does that mean? And it was saved in there. Is this laundry list? Ah, this laundry list. I look at it and I said, oh my God, this is my life story. I don't know if there's any one more important than the other to me. Um, Tony A or whomever was very wise for writing this. Um, you know, we became addicted to excitement. Yeah, I'm addicted to excitement. That was even prior to my drinking. Procrastination, fear. They call it an inner drugstore in, in our works. Right here. You're looking for it. It's August 21st. It's inner drugstore. It's also my sobriety date. So um, I found that interesting. So the two worlds of marrying a physical sobriety and an emotional sobriety, they came together. So, you know, there's many things that are said, but I feel that um, AA, that first one, first, and there might be some other of other us out there like me is ninth grade, right? An ACA is uh, your first year of graduate school. And I had to go backwards to get to the present. And that's where I was at. So I saw this work and I said, I never healed any of this stuff. This crap all started then. How do I get back there? How do I tackle that? And, you know, looking through this, again, this laundry list, it's amazing. Besides the problem and the solution, um, so many different things always stand out to me um, to this day. Um, you know, one, you know, you're going through authority figures and approval seekers framed by angry people. 
Um, we became alcoholics, married them or both. Um, we get guilt feelings when we stand up for ourselves instead of giving in to others. We became addicted to excitement. We confuse love and pity and tend to love people we could pity and rescue. I did that to the hilt. Done. <laughs> done. Like my drinking's done. I ain't rescuing nobody. Can't rescue my mom anymore because that's all I was really doing. Dad was this was a browbeater is what he was. He'd be, he could be a gregarious, mercurial chap, um, but he was rough. Um, he coach. It's like a drill sergeant. He was a coach. He was on the school board, on the church council. He had to run everything. He ran my mom right into the ground times my mom used to say boy your dad hates alcohol but he sure could use a drink that says everything doesn't it they actually welcomed it when he took he had to take he had to take a blood pressure pill it's called pronestal the things that you remember this little yellow pill he took it on wednesdays my older brothers and sisters said they prayed for wednesday to come so he'd take his pill because it chilled him out the guy lived the guy was a walking aca but you know as hard as it is on him I am on him at times and saying that he was everything. Mom gave as good as she got too. That yin and yang, right? Coupled together. She played a lot of games too. I found out later because I relived that a lot. After he died when I was the age of 18. I had a short, brief, uh, two weeks of leukemia. He died a very painful death. Very scared of leukemia. Both my parents are hypochondriacs as well. Turns out and have a lot of anxiety. My dad was just a complete freak out guy. I mean, you know, to some going on vacation, it's funny, it's Chevy Chase, it's National Lampoon's vacation, but comedy is tragedy. And I live that to the hill. I've seen my dad do some crazy crap. Nothing like going to a, I use this one a lot, going to a, uh, Howard Johnson's used to be littered through the greater part of America um, and trying to walk into one, I think somewhere in the Carolinas. As we were heading to Florida, a big old Florida trip, which I dreaded, um, he wanted to get like eight people in at 7.30, no reservations on a Saturday. He wanted us all together. Okay. Well, this poor woman, a waitress, could not accommodate that. So my dad, in his lovely uh, attitude, um, he flipped out and he, we got seated and nonetheless, and I believe he flipped her a penny as his tip. Mom had to go back and took money out of her purse to pay for that. Those are just some of the mild things there that were happening where I grew up. Dad was a fighter. Dad was an angry guy and he was hands-on too. He was an intimidator. So that's where that authority figure is at. And I've noticed sometimes in my relationships, particularly uh, more of the intimate kind, I will relive that. Pretty much anyone that I was intimate with and that kind of intimate relationship was just another version of my father a narcissistic person very angry very controlling i don't seek that out today wounded doves and wounded people are not my thing i seek out people with strength the things the direct opposite i was going for the least common denominator taking the low road not the high road now does that make me someone that's a perfectionist or wants to do it yeah because at this point I want to live a better life with people in it that are healed. Uh, not really hurt, but I have understanding. Now, I'm going to give my dad a pass because the poor son of a gun back in the 40s when he went to college locally here where I live. 
he studied psychology. He majored in it. I thought that was very interesting for a guy that graduated in 1948 from college. I feel that he was on somewhat of a journey. They were, by the way, very Catholic. My mom and my mom Catholic. My mom and dad, there was a lot of religion. Addiction. They did get by on that. Um, I don't follow that anymore. I have my Buddhist beliefs, and I don't consider that a uh, religion. I consider it a philosophy. Um, I'm kind of rounding things up because I didn't want to take a whole lot of time to leave it open. My life's a lot different today. I'm able, if there's any enmeshment or any together, it's marrying these two programs. I will forevermore be Chris S., alcoholic and ACA. That's how I introduced myself in both fellowships because that changed drastically in February 14th, 2018. When I left that woman or rather she left me, um, I don't want to get into those sides of it, but all I know is that was slipping away some months before and was getting ghosted. As it turns out, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't want to take that person's inventory, as they say. Um, I gave as good as I got. Sometimes alcohol can come in physical forms. I, I just wasn't strong enough in my program. So the first thing that happened to me was the best thing that ever happened. And you know, only these last six months since April the 8th, 2021, when I started this job that I really care for, um, I had to walk away from my sponsor because again, I was parentifying him and he's a sick person. So am I, and we'll bring that out. But what had happened to me, which is why I mentioned here as I'm rounding up, is something that eluded me in my almost nine years. I had trouble doing step three. I, I, I just, I don't know. I'm completely understanding it and wrapping my head around it, finding a power greater than ourselves to restore us, you know, finding, you know, turning our life and our will over rather to the care of God as we understood him. And I watched under heavy circumstances of me trying to get this job and a story that's too convoluted to explain that I stood up. I stood up to the sponsor. I did. I've been harboring it for a while. Could have been a resentment. But God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He flipped out on me. Yes, this sponsor did. And I didn't like it one bit because it felt like dad. And this time I walked away and said my goodbyes. But what I felt during that time was, oh my God, I felt like I was on a, a roller skating ring. I said, well, who do I, who do I have? What do I do? Do I go to my therapist, which I have a fantastic therapist. And all I could think of is I said, well, Tim, who's my therapist? I said, he's just a human being. I have nobody. And then this inner voice in me came about and said, God is your friend. And I don't know what it meant, but it meant something. God is my friend. And I said, well, I can count on him. I've been counting on people for too long instead of counting on Chris instead of counting on God, counting on other people. As I said earlier from this book, right, about dependencies, you know, failing to get these things according to my perfectionist dreams and specifications, I'd fought for them. When defeat came, so did my depression. So I can't have those dependencies anymore. I've run out of gas. I thank you all very much. That'll pass.